Church, he is risen. There it is. Some of you know it, yeah? He is risen. He is risen indeed, is he not? Christ is risen. Just this morning, may our hearts be glad. May we be filled with hope and joy today because Christ is, in fact, risen. And if Christ is risen, then he is most certainly alive, right? And if he is risen, then death was overcome on that day by God's power. And if Christ is risen and death was overcome, then as we sang this morning, then we too will certainly be raised. Is that not true? What a hope we have. May this day enliven our hearts to something so much greater than just getting by each and every day, but to live and to walk in the resurrected life of Jesus Christ. That is, that is my prayer for myself, more and more, that I would experience that, that I would, that I would, that I would so pursue the truthfulness of that, that it would bear fruit in my life. Paul says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15 that if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, Paul says. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, that our faith is also in vain. And he even says that we are misrepresenting God because God is the one who spoke first of Christ's resurrection and ascension. And he also said that if Christ has not been raised, that our faith is therefore also futile and we are still in our sins. And I love what he goes on to say. But in fact, Christ has been raised. And if he has been raised, then so too shall we be raised one day. Brothers and sisters, this is the glory that this day is that we so often call Easter. This is the joy and the hope of the Christian life. That Christ's triumphing over death through the power of his resurrection is the ultimate hope of the Christian life. It's the ultimate hope of our life. It's the certainty by which we are fixed in as his children. It is most definitely our certain promise of life eternal. And if it is our future promise, then I would say that is it not then also our present promise as well? What is the present application What is the present outworking of our future hope of our bodily resurrection? Because if he has been raised, so too will we. And if we will one day, how does that now affect how we live in this day and age? And as Paul would say, for as by a man came death, so too by a man has come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, Paul says, so also in Christ all All will be made alive. And it's just these two words this morning, made alive, that I want to focus our attempt and our worship and just the, the posture of our meditation around today. This proclamation that we too shall be made alive. I said two weeks ago as we began just this kind of mini series, if you will, of going through creation in the fall on week one, and then last week Rick spoke on redemption, and then finally today we come to renewal and recreation or the new creation. 
And as I spoke a couple of weeks ago, Genesis 1, it it opens in this really beautiful fashion. And then opposite of that, we have Revelation 21, of of Revelation 21's similar creation account. But, But Revelation 21's creation account is the final and the permanent recreation of all things when God renews or when God liberates his creation from the decay that it currently sits under. Renewing fully the heavens and the earth, establishing for all time his better and everlasting Eden. The Eden that he set in place in the beginning, Revelation 21, speaks of the ultimate and perfected Eden. And so the Bible opens and closes with just these beautiful and even similar in many ways creation accounts. But between these two acts, if you will, stands the doorway, as Rick spoke last week. From one into the other, a third creation account, if you will, if I could take a little bit of creative license. The death of Jesus Christ on the cross, breaking sin's power, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, breaking death's curse, created a new humanity whose ultimate end and whose ultimate promise is participation in God's final creation, spoken of in Revelation 21. Through Jesus Christ, a doorway was opened into something new. And the end story, if you will, or the end scene of that something new is Revelation 21. It's the cross that is the means by which access into this new creation is made possible for anyone who would believe in Jesus Christ. The cross is the doorway. The cross is the means by which. Recently, my family and I, we watched that movie, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Has anybody seen that? If you're old enough, you might have seen it. But there's a scene at the very end where like the goo hits the wall and Toontown is like shown for all that it is, right? It's like this, in a way that falls really short, obviously, of the cross. That's not my point. But there's, this, but there's this contrast. That's all I'm saying. It's just a contrast, if you will, between that which is meant with hidden and that which is truly alive in life within Toontown and the reality of which they live within. And I had just this picture of the doorway by which, and here's this big brick wall in that movie, and they're looking through the brick wall into all of this life. Brothers and sisters, that's the contrast of of the cross and the old way of life and the new life that Jesus Christ has made way for us into. And it's far better than any Toontown probably will ever even come close to imagining. In John's gospel, Jesus responds to one who would ask, how can we know the way? Someone asked Jesus, how can we know the way? And to which Jesus says to him, I am the way. And we know he says, I am the truth. And he also says that I am the life, that no one comes to the Father but through me. In other words, this is what Jesus is saying. I am the way into the new life. That's what Jesus is saying. I am the way into the new life. And so again, as Rick would say last last week, that redemption is the doorway into the new creation. And it's this new creation that is the life that Jesus is speaking of there in in John's gospel when he responds that I am the way, the truth, and the life. That life is the new creation life, and I want to speak more on that this morning. Of this new creation, Paul would also say in 1 Corinthians 15 that the first man was from the earth, a man of dust, 
We know who he's speaking of, right? Who was the first man of dust? Adam. So Paul is now contrasting his toontown with the natural world. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. And who is the second man? Jesus. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of dust. As is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. The context for Paul's statement here in in 1 Corinthians, he's speaking of the certainty of a believer's physical bodily resurrection, but I want you to notice something really significant in what he says. Prior to that very last statement of we also will bear the image of the man of heaven, he says, as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. He isn't saying that as is the man of heaven, so we will one day be. He is saying as he is, so we are. There is a present reality is my point in this. There is a present reality to the resurrection resurrected life of Jesus Christ that we, as I have already said today, as we have sung, as we have worshiped and praised him in, there is a present reality to this life that we live, brothers and sisters, that is absolutely and incredibly different than the life outside of Christ. It is something radical that is something new, and it is through Christ that we come into that life. So if today, if you have placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, You are in that new life. And while we might not realize it from moment to moment or experience it each and every day by which we live, the reality still remains true that we are a new creation, as Paul would also say in 2 Corinthians, that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And he says, behold, the old is gone and the new has come. So this is the point that I'm wanting to make today. Jesus was the beginning of something new here on earth, a people of whom he was the first. Paul would say this in Colossians 1.15, speaking of Jesus being the first. He's the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation. Have you ever stopped and just pondered that first statement? Jesus Christ, the image of the invisible God. God enfleshed. He who has remained hidden for centuries upon centuries upon centuries reveals himself in the man, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the image of the invisible God. And then it says this, he is the firstborn of all creation. And we know that he's not the literal firstborn of all creation. That was Adam. So what is Paul's point? He's the firstborn of the new creation. He's the firstborn of something entirely new. And just as we came from Adam, and just as the millions of others had come from Adam, the man of dust, so now those by faith, we come from the man of heaven. And you go, but yeah, but look at us. There's nothing new about me. We'll speak on that in a moment. And now we, through faith in Jesus, have been made alive. We've been recreated into a new life now as offspring of Jesus And as I was just preparing for this this morning, I was thinking, but yeah, you know what? We know this, right? We've spoken. If you've been a part of Capital City, this this language of new creation is not new language. 
We've heard it. We teach it. We even sing it in part. And as I was just thinking about it, I was thinking, you know, Peter says this in one of his letters, that it's, it's beneficial to remind ourselves of the truth. There's a reason why there are certain truths that we speak of time and time and time and time and time and time again. It's because the importance of it never fades. In fact, I would say, if anything else, the significance of the truth only increases, and the immediacy of it needing to be applied to our life becomes ever-present to the point that to remind ourselves again and again and again actually serves us well. So Peter would say in 2 Peter that though you may know, speaking of the truth, though you may know them and are established in it, he says, I want to stir you up by way of reminder. May I stir you up, church, this morning by way of reminder into the new life that is yours in Christ Jesus. Redemption isn't just salvation from sin, nor is it just a promise of eternal life with Jesus Christ. So often when we think of redemption, we think of those two things. We think of the past salvific experience, if you will, or the moment of which we are saved. I don't know why I used air quotes. That's not an air quote moment. Mario's been rubbing up on me. No, that's a literal moment. It's, a, it's not just the moment that you're saved. And sometimes when we think of redemption, we also think of it as a future yet-to-be-obtained reality, which is also true. Both of those are true. But let's not narrow the significance of the ongoing importance in the life of the believer that redemption is beyond establishing us just in those two truths. As wonderful as they are, Redemption is just the beginning that has been made possible by the victorious and the powerful resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is just the beginning. It's just the beginning. Look at me, uh, look with me, don't look at me. Look at me and then look with me at 2 Peter. Turn to 2 Peter, chapter 2, no, chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1, I love this verse, beginning in verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is the world because of sinful desire. Sometimes when Paul strings together these really long sentences and he packs them full of really amazing and deep theological truth, we find ourselves struggling to, to grab the totality of what Paul is saying. So let's not miss this here because really what I'm getting at is the end of what he says in verse four, that we may become partakers of the divine nature. What does that mean? And you're saying, well, that, you're supposed to tell us that. That's what I'm saying this morning. The divine nature of Christ, what was otherly in a sense about Christ in terms of who he was, the power in which he lived, the means by which 
he lived and accomplished his life on earth. We know, brothers and sisters, that that same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives and dwells within our bodies today. That is the divine nature. The divine nature of which, by which we are partakers of is, again, that resurrected life and empowerment of the Spirit of God who resides within us. That is the deposit of our hope. That is that which we look towards one day, knowing that we will attain it because the deposit has been given to us. The divine nature is not only just ability, but it's also the means by which we think. The prophecy is that our hearts of stone will be exchanged for a heart of flesh. What is the picture there? That something that is impenetrable will be exchanged for something that is malleable, something that can be conformed, something that is full of life. A heart of flesh beats, it pumps, it sustains, right? This is the, the, the metaphorical picture of what has been happened when we, whereby we have been made new. This is the divine nature which that we have. The grace of God, not just Jesus Christ as the gift of grace, but now the grace of God given to us, instilled within us, lavished upon us, which abounds over and over and over, day in and day out in our life, is the means by which we continue in this divine life that we have been given. Does this make sense to you? This is, this is amazing. And again, this isn't brand new, but may I stir you up by way of reminder today. We are the new creation in Christ Jesus. So this divine nature, which we are partakers of now, not just in the future, is the new creation life. It's the resurrected life of Christ as the empowerment for our life. It is, it is not just simply behavior either. It's not that we would just do the right thing. It's a literal regenesis of our spiritual being, a recreation of our spirit man. And one day, as we've sung, it's the promise of the recreation of our physical man. I said this a couple weeks ago, what the heck am I going to look like? And I said, for those of you who are bald, there's no hope for you, Nate. You're stuck, because I have to recognize you somehow. I don't know. How will I recognize you, bro? Will it be your single stud in your ear? I don't know, maybe. Huh? I, what would that be like? What would the new creation be like? Do you guys ever sit and think about that? You should let your mind meditate on that sometime. Just let it go. It's all right. God doesn't. I think God likes it when we stir ourselves in that way even though we don't think rightly upon it, most likely. <laughs> yeah. I had this friend, and he would always tell me how much bigger his mansion would be in heaven than my own, which I feel like disqualifies him right then and there for that very thing, but he would always remind me of how greater his mansion would be. And I'm thinking, that's not quite thinking rightly on what the, the new earth is going to be like. I don't know. I'm not sure. So it isn't just simply the behavior that we have been that is modified within our life. It's the way we think and therefore the way we act. It's what we believe and it's how we live that have been made new by this new life that is given to us. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves just within the time that I have left is this, for what purpose? Why such a life right now? Why, why would God create it in such a way that we are partakers now in something new? 
rather than just allowing us to live our life and then experience redemption in its totality. Instead, God had designed it that we would experience redemption now in this unique way as a foretaste of the ultimate final consummation of redemption at the end of the age. Why? Why such a life? And as I was thinking about it, I was thinking there's reasons. There's reasons for it now because those who still live beneath the weight need to understand and to see beyond just words a glimpse of what the resurrected life will be like thereby in hopes that they would come into being partakers, too, of the divine nature. So firstly, I was thinking this. We are image bearers in this life, image bearers of Christ, image bearers of the new creation, because it was God's plan that we, as these image bearers, would proclaim and that we would uphold the inherent value that creation has within it as those who live now differently, we have much to say about that which is around us, or at least we ought to have a lot to say about it. We have a lot to say about other things. Shouldn't we too have something to say about God's desire for his creation, for the value that has been placed within it as God intended? Also is the new creation of the earth we are to declare then God's heart and plan of renewal, and we are to pursue God's restoration of the lifeless beings who live and walk on this earth. The reason that new creation life is now is so that we would live as light for those who are in dark, that we would live as hope or point to hope for those who are hopeless. And also, I thought that we actively pursue God's will as the new creation for all of his creation. That another reason that he has purposed this life now is so that we would pursue that which is his desire and his plan for all of his creation, not just humanity. Remember, I said this a couple of weeks ago, that when man fell in the garden, it wasn't only man's soul that was subjected to death. It was all of his being It was man's mind, his body, his will, and his soul that was subjected to sin. And I also said this too, and we looked at at Paul when he states in Romans that creation also came underneath the weight of the sin and now bears the weight of it. And it it was subjected to the decay, and it carries now a weight that sin brought because of Adam's sin. So in this way, brothers and sisters, we are the much-needed image bearers of Christ Jesus on the earth to speak what is true, to speak what is life into death that is around us in many senses, not just spiritual death as well. So I want to just give you four things, and then what we're going to do is we're going to come to the Lord's table together, and we'll sing again as we end our time. But I want to give you four Um, I I spoke in the beginning, again a couple of weeks ago, on on four ways that the fall affected creation. That through sin's entrance into the world, it brought with it four significant fall effects. And just as a reminder, they were this. The first is that man was alienated from God. Not quite yet, thank you, but not quite yet. Man was alienated from God was the first fall effect. The second was that man was alienated from himself. 
The third is that man was alienated from one another. And the fourth was that man was alienated from creation. You guys remember these things if you were here. If you weren't, there it is. There's the four significant effects, if you will, that sin has had. Alienation from God, alienation from ourselves, alienation from one another. Yes, Lord, speak to us. And alienation from creation. But now, or better yet, what's the wonderful two words that we see within Scripture, but God? But God, having opened for us a new and living way through the flesh of Jesus Christ, commissions us to proclaim and to pursue his restoration and ultimately his final renewal through a radical new way of living that's empowered by his resurrected life. In a sense, Christ has turned the fall upside down through the cross. And so where man was alienated from God in the new creation, man is now united with God through Christ. So where man was alienated, now man through the cross is united with God. We profess his sacrifice through the cross as the new creation. The forgiveness of sins, mankind's payment, bringing about reconciliation by God through grace, through faith. Simultaneously, we proclaim Christ's victory over death through his literal and physical bodily resurrection, thus securing for ourselves, as I've already said, our physical resurrection and eternity with him one day. This is the unity that the cross has brought with God in man. And Romans 5.1 says this, therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You could spend a month preaching on that statement alone. Peace with God through Christ Jesus. So firstly, man through the cross is united with God. Secondly, where man was alienated from himself, now through Christ, man is united with himself. What does this mean? What do I mean by this? In John's gospel, in chapter 20, Jesus appears to the disciples after his resurrection, and he makes this statement. He says, peace with you. What an interesting statement for him to make in that moment. The resurrected Christ appears to his apostles, to his disciples, and he says, peace with you. Paul would also say to the Colossians, to let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. This is the point. Because we have peace with God, we can now, too, have peace with ourselves. Because life with Christ is peace itself. Life with Christ is peace. It's contentment. It's faith in who, in who God is and created us to be. It's satisfaction with who he is for us. Think about this for a minute. Think about this. Peace with ourself is satisfaction of who we are. I, there are plenty of moments where I am not satisfied with who I am. Shannon and I were just talking about one of them last night. But listen, <laughs> she's laughing because it's true. It's true. But, but this, is, this is my hope. While, <laughs> I wanted to say something else. <laughs> While my wife and I don't experience peace all the time, no, I'm just joking. The reality is, is that I can have peace with myself even amidst my sinfulness. 
I'm, I'm not in conflict. While there is truth that my flesh and the spirit wage war against each other, while my flesh re- wants to reject the things of the spirit, that's a battle that we'll always wage. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the internal turmoil of, of discontentment with ourselves, of discontentment with that which as God has created us to be. I'm not talking about righteous discontentment. I'm talking about that inner turmoil that we experience. But now peace with God is contentment and faith in who God has created us to be. It's, 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 it's ourselves ceasing from that turmoil based on the recognition that all that God has done and provided for us through Jesus Christ is good for us. It's a liberation from self-consumption, peace with God. This is a tough one because the reality is is we all live in this each and every day. But what is the weight and the effect of that? It's it's one thing to recognize it and to be like, man, God, may your grace just rule in this part of my life. It's another thing to just find yourself steeped within it, uncertain how to deal with, with it, uncertain with what God has said about A, B, or C within us, and thus creating a sense of tumult in our hearts and minds. So thankfully now, through the cross, we have peace with God and therefore peace with ourselves. Number three, as man was alienated from one another through the fall, now man is united with one another through Christ Jesus. And one of the most powerful and beautiful text of Scripture that speaks to this specifically is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13, where Paul says this, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one, and I love this statement, has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two. What is that new man? It's the new creation. That he may within himself create one new man in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. The cross of Christ has brought unity between disunity amongst man. This is the message that we must profess. This is the message that we must speak in the midst of cultural disunity. And I was thinking too, that statement that he might create in himself one new man, there's no uncertainty in that. It's not a statement of hope, that we're just hoping that God will maybe do this. That's not what he's saying. There is in an inference within it of our participation of how, because this is man with man, so therefore we have a part to play within it. And so that is speaking of a future tense of what we'll be. But brothers and sisters, again, now, now we speak into this moment of hopelessness. Now we speak what is true. And then lastly, man is united with creation. And the first text that came to mind, and it's, the context of it is not this, but it was Isaiah's statement that the wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down 
with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. And the imagery that Isaiah uses isn't speaking, obviously, of a literal existence of creation in this way. But I was thinking about this. We can look at, at, at what we are given in Scripture of how creation began and how creation will end. And we know that this will, in fact, somehow be a reality. But until that day, what is the point of it in the present? That we would somehow pursue an elevation of creation beyond just our own personal admiration and personal fulfillment. Do you hear what I'm saying? That the, the value of creation, that the significance of creation would go to a level that's beyond just our own personal enjoyment. But in a recognition of that it's a reflection of God's beauty and a reflection of God's character, as Paul speaks of in Romans, in the beginning of Romans. So we pursue a stewardship of the earth. We pursue a stewardship of the earth's resources and that which fills it. We value it, not making an idol as is so easily to do. I'm not saying we place it somewhere where it ought not to be, but let's face it, we could all probably do better with living now out this reconciliation of man with God's creation. And then too, there is a reality that, again, that the earth sits beneath a weight of sin, so it is subject to decay, it is subject to those things, and it's not as though we'll be able to cause that to stop. But it's just to say, there is something of God now that will point to what will be later. And I think a lot of it has to do within our own hearts and how we see, is this just, a, are, we, are we users in a sense? Is this just a means to an end for us or is it a reflection of something greater? Yeah? Is that okay? Okay. And I just want to say this too, I don't think we're going to rule this earth like Adam did. I'm not necessarily saying that. I'm not saying that we'll have total dominion over the earth here and now, but I think one day, again in the new creation, in the, in the final recreation of the earth, we'll see something of that semblance. I don't know what that'll look like. That'll be interesting too, huh? We could sit and think about that. So these four things, man is united with God, man is united to himself, man is united to one another, and man is united to his creation this is the reversal of the fall that's present for us to walk in. Brothers and sisters, this, this, this requires us to live with such great intentionality and belief. I can say this, and you might actually not agree with some of these things. But what I would say to you is this. I would appeal to you with what I have said about who God is for us now. What does it mean to be the new creation? I believe it's lived and it's walked out in these areas of life. May we pursue this together. May we seek this. I want to just read again. I began this whole thing by reading out of Revelation. And just within the amount of time, why don't we invite the band to come back up at this time? Can we do that? Actually, no. Hold off. You guys are wonderful. I really want to enjoy you walking up here. Hold on a minute. Revelation. Let me just read to you guys out of Revelation again. Revelation chapter 20. 
sorry, Revelation 21, beginning in verse five, and he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I'm making all things new. Man, that's amazing. Behold, I'm making all things new. In verse nine, he says, then came one of the seven angels who had seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and at the gates, 12 angels and on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. Verse 22, and I saw no temple in the city for its temple is the Lord God, the almighty and the lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives its light and its lamp is the lamb. By its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And there is so much more in verse chapter 22 of the river of life and how it feeds the city, the healing of the nations. Brothers and sisters, we have such a great hope. Let us be anchored in our hope of what will one day be, but let it have a present day radiance about our lives, that it would so affect the way we live and what we believe and what we pursue and how we pursue it, that we would truly live as those who are the new creation, those who experience now the resurrected life of Jesus Christ. For he is risen. He is risen indeed.